This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back again for another day, getting back into the routine of this, into the swing of this. I had a lot of, a lot of vacation time in July and August, then last week had COVID, so just trying to get back into a rhythm, but feels like we are inching closer to that. Should have shows every week this week, should have shows every week, uh, every day um, going forward, so feeling good about that plenty of stuff to talk about today, although it's going to be kind of concentrated on two subjects today. I think it's going to be all Twins and Vikings today. A little bit of a programming change was going to have a lot of links talk today, but um, I think that'll be more on tomorrow's show. Should be joined by Kent Youngblood tomorrow to kind of put a bow on that Lynx season. WNBA playoffs starting on Wednesday. Lynx will not be participating in those playoffs for the first time in 11 seasons. So look forward to that tomorrow. But today, Andrew Kramer will join me here in a little bit, Vikings writer, um, breaking down a little bit more of the preseason game and also kind of spinning things forward in terms of who who still has a lot of work to do, what players stood out, um, some really good breakdown from Andrew. So I hope you enjoy that here in a little bit. And I'll have an extended thought on a very important statistic that bears watching for the Vikings this season. But first, what did I miss? You know, you're forgiven if you had some negative thoughts last night as you watched the end of the Twins game. Because it felt like a very very unfortunate and another familiar ending to that game was coming your way, right? The Twins... Fell behind 2 nothing to the Royals. People were getting pretty negative right away because, you know, team coming off a 1-4 and four road trip. Um, things not going their way. Joe Ryan had been roughed up quite a bit lately. But then things got better. Joe Ryan settled in, gave them a decent start, got into the sixth inning, gave up just those two runs. Twins scratched together some runs, got four runs, none of them via home run, by the way, which is very rare for them. And got some good relief pitching. Got you know, Caleb Thielbar, Griffin Jacks, Joan Duran. Got them to the ninth inning, up 4-2. to two. And then Jorge Lopez came in. And, you know, he's he's the closer. He's He's been very good this season. He's done some good things since being acquired by the Twins at the trade deadline. But his most recent outing was that rough one on Saturday where he... You know, got into some trouble against the Angels, messed around a little bit, and uh, and found out that's not the way to pitch, and uh, ended up losing that game five to three after he blew that save, gave up the two runs in the ninth on that game tying triple against the Royals. A similar scene was unfolding. Bottom of the order again, setting the table this time for Kansas City. Gave up a leadoff double, got a strikeout, but then a single. So it's first and third. One out, left-handed batter up, back to the top of the order. And you're thinking, uh-oh, you know, next next thing that happens might be a bad thing for the Twins. Now the tying run is on base. The winning, you know, potential go-ahead run is at the plate. Uh, but from there, Lopez gets what he needs, gets that ground ball to first base. Tim Beckham starts a very nice uh, double play to end the game, get the Twins out of there with that 4-2 win. Important in a lot of regards, but particularly because, you know, uh, they're in a Bennett race right now. They're in a division race right now, and it's going to be scoreboard watching every night um, from here on out, probably unless something dramatic happens in one direction or the other. But it was a good it was a good night for the Twins. 
Um, Cleveland split a doubleheader with uh, with Detroit, so the Twins picked up half a game there. Now the White Sox beat the Astros, which is unfortunate, but they make, they can maybe hope that uh, that the White Sox drop one or two here. Big pitching matchup between Dylan Cease and Justin Verlander. Uh, tonight, by the way, to Twins hoping that Verlander, who has been their nemesis over the years, can stick it to the White Sox. But you know, they kind of had you got to take advantage of these games, right? You're at home, you're playing the Royals, um, you've, you've taken the lead into the ninth inning, you've got the All Star closer on the mound. You can't be giving away another one of those kinds of games. So you know, in that regard, obviously very important. And like I said, it's going to be playoff watching for the rest of the year. It's going to be scoreboard watching for the rest of the year. All three of these teams is kind of like right in that bunch again. Cleveland two games up on both Minnesota and Chicago now. So can't imagine there's going to be a whole lot of separation, even though even the projections at the end of the year have these teams within a game or two of each other. So all these games are very much magnified at this point, which made Saturday's loss all that much more disappointing, but also which makes Monday's game that much more important to right the ship. One other key development in that game, Max Kepler had three hits, breaking a huge streak for him. It was almost a, he'd almost gone over 30 before he stepped up to the plate and got three hits in this game, including a uh, an RBI hit, RBI single that got the Twins onto the board, kind of got their offense going, you know, after 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 Kansas City had taken that one two nothing lead. And Kepler's just a mystery, right? He, you know, he, he seemed like he had that breakout season in 2019, where you know all the Twins were were hitting big that year. But he had you know 36 home runs and 855 OPS. Even got a couple MVP votes that season. Ever since then, it's just been kind of this plateau. He was okay in the 2020 season, but didn't hit for much average. Last year, hit 211 as he just kind of went into a tailspin, and this year hitting. 230 now uh, after you know after getting a few hits the other day but the OPS down under 700 still a very good defensive outfield a very important player for them if they can get him going in any way shape or form in the last six seven weeks that would take a lot of the pressure off the rest of the lineup especially with how banged up the outfield has been but not counting on anything right now because what we've seen from him is a lot of inconsistency over the years and a, a lot of you know kind of stalled progress so we'll see where they wind up with with Max Kepler, but good signs in that game, at least from Kepler. And overall, a good sign. They get the win, and uh, they got Sonny Gray going Tuesday night, so maybe, just maybe, they've got this thing going in the right direction again now. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. All right, I am happy to be joined by Andrew Kramer on Daily Delivery today. Andrew, of course, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. And Vikings, you might have noticed, played their first preseason game on Sunday. And Andrew, you know, I feel like preseason being what it is, there's there's only so much we can take out of it. It's less about a team thing and more about individual stuff. But I kind of wanted to go through with you and identify some things we liked and maybe some things that are still areas of concern that, you know, were that that showed up in in this first preseason game, you know, losing to 
the Raiders 26, 20 sounds like Kevin O'Connell, by the way, wanted to win that game. I know all coaches want to win, but he, he sounded like he wanted to win a little bit more than, uh, than some coaches in, in preseason games. Yeah. I think his, his coaching debut, you know, against Josh McDaniels and his, his not had coaching debut, but debut for the Raiders. Um, yeah. It sounded like he, he wanted that W, but I, like you said, it's all about the individual evaluation at this point. So speaking of that, um, the biggest thing, and, and Royce and I talked about this a little bit on Monday, but you're probably in a position to give a, a better kind of breakdown of it. You know, people came away from that game, you know, went into that game, I guess, curious to see how both of the, the backup quarterbacks would look, especially with Kirk Cousins definitely not playing because he was on the COVID list. Um, we saw a lot from, from Sean Manning. We saw a lot from Kellen Mond. And I, I dare say we saw more positives from Mond than we've probably seen at a lot of other points in his journey, especially in, in a lot of the points in training camp so far this year. So what, what do you make of, of what you saw from both of those guys, especially uh, the second year quarterback, Kellen Mond? Yeah. And it's important to know, kind of having been at every practice so far to this point of where these guys were at going into this game. And Sean Manny was the clear cut guy. Um, there's a reason why they started him. Uh, Kevin O'Connell clearly felt like Sean Mannion was going to give uh, the fellow, the other 10 offensive guys, the best look and best chance to be you know, evaluated fairly. So they decided to start him in this game and play him for the first quarter and a half. And Sean Mannion was at least knowing where to go with the football in a very timing and rhythm based offense in camp. And you saw some similar struggles um, out of him that, you know, we've seen in, in actual live regular season games before with him, uh, whether it was inaccurate throws, obviously being immobile, uh, being affected by the pass rush and all of those things. And then Kellen Mond comes in and is just so much more of a dynamic athlete. And it was the flip side in camp where Kellen Mond looked lost, looked slow, um, really didn't show much of the improvement that his teammates had talked about in the spring. Our colleague Ben Gessling had a story in Sunday's paper before the game about how Kellen Mond was really impressing Adam Thielen, how they worked out together in the offseason. And Adam Thielen was telling him, man, whatever you did, like just keep doing it. And it, it had worked for him, but it, it didn't translate to camp. And so it was a real big surprise uh, to see him bounce back in that second half after a really tough, you know, last you know, five, seven minutes of the second quarter, whatever it was. Uh, Kellen Mond had missed throws in the end zone at that point. So going into halftime, you're thinking, boy, this is just more of the same. And he comes out in that second half and is really making anticipatory touch throws. He's uh, the one, I think it was some 20-yarder to Dan Chisena, a backup wide receiver that was just over a defender and right into Dan's hands. Those are the kind of throws that you need to make as an NFL quarterback. We had not seen that at all in training camp. And so that I think is why Kevin O'Connell was a little bit effusive in his praise of Mond after that game and saying, that's the development. That's what we need to see from this guy. And you obviously want to see it in games. And I think people will roll their eyes and say, well, it's the second half of a preseason game against backups, who cares? But if you look at the individual plays that he was making, uh, specifically a couple of those throws that really stand out. And, and O'Connell also talked about getting to his third and fourth reads and doing it quickly, finding the open guy quickly. It's a lot different than other backup quarterbacks in the Viking system that have looked good in the preseason in terms of just using their mobility or their athleticism and kind of uh, off-schedule plays. This was on schedule. This was in the offense. And that is what was pretty impressive about Kellen Mond because, like I said, we hadn't seen much of it. 
now we obviously need to see more and none of this is a factor in you know Kirk Cousins job security or anything like that but as we think about this do you think that one game is enough to give the Vikings something to think about in terms of you know whether they were thinking about Sean Manning as the clear number two or whether they were thinking if neither one of these guys is very good we might have to look outside the building for our actual backup quarterback and think about some some other direction does does this game how where do you where do you put this this performance or how those guys looked in terms of how that might factor into that overall decision making yeah they've got a big decision to make behind Kirk Cousins and obviously Kirk has never missed a game to injury only to illness in his NFL career Um, but what this did for Kellen Mond was it put him back on track to at least try to win that job because at this point you're right it was looking like it was going to be Mannion or somebody who's not even here because uh, that's how bad those guys had looked with the second team offense or with the first team at the end of last week when Kirk was out with COVID. That's how bad it looked. So Kellen Mond is now back on track, and this week coming up is going to be huge for him. They've got two joint practices with the 49ers, and then they've got this uh, game against the Niners on Saturday, and he's going to get a lot of run in all of those. And if he can continue to show that, if he can carry over that success, then I don't see why they wouldn't believe that this kid is showing that improvement that they need to see and his trajectory can keep getting pointed upward and give him that backup job because Sean Mannion is a known quantity. This guy's 30 years old. He's a third round pick many years ago by the Rams. Uh, yes, he's very smart and an asset in the game planning room as far as the regular season stuff goes. But if you need to break glass in case of emergency, he's not it. We've seen it. And if Kellen Mond can show you that he brings and we saw too with some of the athleticism with Mond running around in the game, he brings a different dimension to it. And if he can develop as a passer and continue what he just started in that second half, it'll be huge for him. What else did you like from, from the game, whether it was a unit, whether it was an individual player in terms of, you know, again, people may be trying to impress, trying to win roster spots, win roles. What, what did you see from, from that game Sunday? Yeah, it was obvious, but the backup running backs, and I really think Ty Chandler showed something because it wasn't just running through open holes, which he had plenty of. It was also him creating after contact. It was dodging guys downfield. Uh, He's a sixth round pick. He's an old rookie. I think he's like 24 at this point. Uh, Transfer in college, somebody, who you know, just finally latched on at North Carolina last year and had success. And so there were big question marks about what do they really have there if they were to ever move on from Dalvin Cook down the road or not re-sign Alexander Madison, who was a free agent after this year. Uh, What does their depth really look like? And I thought Chandler and Kenny Wong looked really, really good. And that's good for the Vikings. It's good for the front office if they can continue that to show that maybe they don't need to pay Dalvin Cook $14 next year. And I understand Dalvin is a top five back, but – you know, if you're looking to pinch pennies like this front office is looking to do, those backups give you reason to think, hey, maybe we can just do a committee approach like many other teams do in the NFL. So I thought backup running backs looked good. Um, I thought Brian Osamoa really flashed. He only played 18 snaps, but he's the third round linebacker um, who is really quick to the point. He looked very quick to diagnose things, quick to the sideline. Uh, he's lighter for a linebacker, which is why he's able maybe to run down some of those plays. But that's what you need in today's NFL. And they are looking for backup linebackers behind two older guys in Eric Kendricks and and Jordan Hicks and the inside linebacker spots to be answers long term uh, in years to come. And I thought Brian Osamoa showed a lot there. Um, And on the flip side, Troy Dye, who's a third year, fourth round pick, 
they started him in place of Eric Kendricks in that game. And I thought Troy Dye struggled a lot. You were seeing him get pushed around. He looks light. He doesn't look as fast as Asamoah. And I, I thought the Raiders at one point were just looking to run at him. You know, they don't game plan these games, but sure. they thought hey, we had some success running some run plays to that linebacker's side. Let's just keep doing it. And they did. And so there could be some depth chart kind of shuffling here after a game like that, especially if it continues in the camp and other preseason games. I want to get back to linebackers in a minute because depth there would definitely be a, a concern. But back to your point about running backs, it is interesting too, because I feel like when Kwesi Adolfo Mensa was hired, we, you know, me, you and Ben Gessling probably talked once or twice, at least on Access Vikings, about how will this, you know, GM, will this kind of way of thinking, will they think about different positions and how they're spending on different positions differently? And running back was one of those things where it's like, you know, Rick Spielman certainly had a certain way of, of doing things and would pay pay certain premiums for certain positions. And, you know, not to say that Quasi Odofo Mensa won't or what doesn't see the value in Dalvin Cook, but you're, you're right. That's that's one area where if you get down the road and you're paying guys a lot of money, that's that's one area where you might be like, ah, can we can we get by with, like you said, more of a committee committee approach and, and not that one kind of high priced guy? Yeah. And obviously Dalvin was one of the, I think, 10 or so starters that they held out of that game. We probably won't see him till week one. Um, but he also has never played 16 games. I think he's played 13, 14 here or there. Uh, injuries are something he constantly has to manage. And those chronic shoulder issues where he's dislocated some of them multiple times, those aren't problems that go away. Those things become easier from what I've been told to get knocked out uh, with age and with more wear and tear. And so I just don't know how much it makes sense yet to, to put the amount that you pay Dalvin, which again, next year is 14 million against the cap. The amount that you're paying him, you, you want to get your money's worth. Well, can you with his durability issues? It's a big question. Yeah. Um, back to linebacker. I mean, in a three, four, you got more guys that are classified as linebackers. Although if we're talking about, you know, the edge guys, it's going to be Zadarius Smith and Neil Hunter on, on the edge eventually once, uh, once everybody is suited up and, and playing. But that said, do you, do you have a, sense that they need to do more about their linebacker depth and, and kind of shore up that area? Or do you feel like they'll be, they're going to find out enough about these guys to feel okay about that before the year starts? They're going to do some things schematically too, where I don't know if they'll always have two inside linebackers on the field. We've seen in camp where they turn DJ Wanham into like a stand-up roving guy in the middle of the field and run kind of like a dime package or a five, one, uh, what would it be? five, I guess, where they've got just one linebacker, like just Eric Kendricks in the middle. So they have ways that if they don't love their depth and they get down a guy in the regular season, we could see him mix it up. But I do think they like Brian Osamoa a lot from what we've heard in camp. And he showed it in that game. And he's more of a coverage guy at this point, but he also chased down some running plays on the perimeter. So if he shows that he can be a contributor sooner rather than later, then these issues aren't really that profound. It's more about, you got all these draft picks. Chaz Surratt was a third rounder last year. Troy Dye was a fourth rounder a couple years ago. Um, some of these guys might be really fighting for jobs because Blake Lynch is a guy who started for Anthony Barr quite a bit yeah. last year. A special teams contributor continues to play a big role on special teams. Does Troy Dye not make the team? Does Chaz Surratt not make the team? How many of those guys are they going to keep when, as you mentioned in the three, four, you got to keep a lot of the edge players too. You got to keep a lot of the defensive linemen. That numbers game in the front seven becomes pretty tough to count all of those guys in. So 
I think some of these draft picks are legitimately playing for their jobs. Interesting strategy. If you don't have a lot of depth, just don't play a lot of those guys. But you can't do that in the secondary. You got to have a certain amount of guys back there. You had mentioned to me, and I saw it too, you saw Booth get flagged. We've seen Dantzler get a little handsy um, at times here too. And, you know, obviously Patrick Peterson didn't play in this game. Harrison Smith not playing in this game. So again, it's, you know, we're evaluating individuals more than the overall unit, but I think one of the storylines of camp and even going into camp was how will the depth in the secondary hold up? How did you feel like that got at least partially answered on Sunday? Yeah, I think you're left with some of the same questions at corner um, because they didn't play Patrick Peterson. And you're wondering who's starting opposite him. It has been Cameron Dantzler, a guy who started games the last two years. He started pretty much the entire training camp. Um, Andrew Booth is the second round pick, a guy that they took early in the second round this year. They want him to play eventually. Cameron Dantzler is just a placeholder. But both of those guys have some of those same issues, and Andrew Booth especially. I mean, rookies... Rookies have these issues all the time. I think Andrew Booth is one of, if not the youngest player taken in this NFL draft. And you're seeing it. The guy's confident, but he's way too physical. We saw in camp, it was the night practice last week, where he was basically tackling, live tackling. And that's not what they're instructed to do. And he's bodying guys before the pass comes and then taunting them afterward as the flags are falling around him. So you love the confidence, but you know that he's getting corrected behind the scenes of like, we can't have this 15 yards every time you're targeted kind of thing. And he was flagged in that game. So was Dantzler. Uh, Out of their six, I believe, first half penalties, four of them were for illegal contact and coverage. So coverage is going to be a big question mark for this team, and it still is right now. And so you want to see the development of either Dantzler, who has actually had a strong camp, or Booth, who has a lot of talent. I think he's a lot more talented than Dantzler and has a higher ceiling. Um, but yeah, Sunday's preseason game against the Raiders didn't answer a lot of those questions. A couple more things for you, Andrew Kramer. One is that um, one thing that can help your secondary is a pass rush. And you and I talked before we started here, you thought the pass rush looked pretty decent in that first game. And maybe there are some kind of, you know, enough, enough depth there, enough opportunities there, enough kind of schemes there. That that you know when the when the Vikings had trouble last year, sometimes pass rush was a culprit, and they just couldn't get enough couldn't couldn't get pressure when they needed to get pressure. Yeah, I liked what I saw from Armin Watts, especially the the he's who's right now starting at defensive end opposite Dalvin Tomlinson, and that's not the same defensive end role that Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin played for years. They're shifting and playing directly over offensive tackles while you got outside linebackers standing up on either edge, so it's more of an interior spot. But I really liked what I saw from him, who's projected to be a starter. And also um, Patrick Jones, who was a third-round pick last year, and he ended up starting this game with Hunter and Zadarius Smith held out. And that's what they need. They need that depth. And DJ Wanham produced as well, but it was off of a twist. It was kind of very much how he's produced throughout his career, where he's never beaten somebody one-on-one. He just kind of gets free off of a game or a blitz uh, or a stunt or something like that. But Patrick Jones was showing his physicality in this game, kind of pushing offensive linemen back, showing his relentlessness. That is the stuff you wanted to see. And the the same thing with Armin Watts. So uh, that's really strong because you need some reserves to come in. And, you know, with two guys in Hunter and Smith who have had injury issues, uh, the reserve spots there are under the microscope even more than maybe some other positions. So uh, Patrick Jones is one guy to continue watching for sure. 
Didn't I read? I don't know if it was Donatel or who said it, but someone on the Vikings staff said that Jones has, you know, as far as the all of the what we now classify as the outside linebackers, that he's that he's got the most natural ability, looks most comfortable in that kind of with the burst off the line. Did I, did I remember reading that? Yeah, Mike Smith, who's the uh, former Packers edge rusher coach and is now holding the same job here, had said that they had tracked all the get-off speeds. Like okay. The ball snapped. How fast are you getting across the line? And he claimed that Patrick Jones was the fastest at it. So I think they see a lot of potential there. Okay, final thing for you, Andrew. You mentioned big week for Kellen Mond with these joint practices with this game coming up against the 49ers. Who else? I mean, it feels like you know, if not necessarily even just like bubble guys, but guys who are looking to carve out certain roles on this roster who, who else has an important week coming up yeah this offense is going to use a lot of wide receivers they're going to go three wide it's why you didn't see kj osborne play as much we're probably not going to see Thielen or jefferson at all in these games in the preseason um, but they need to fill some of these backup wide receiver spots and even though you saw albert wilson score a couple touchdowns in that game he's had a really bad camp and there's a reason why he was playing in that second half and not earlier Um, But I was really disappointed with Amir Smith-Marset in that game. He was fumbling a punt. He was dropping a pass. Um, He was just doing some of those boneheaded things that you're used to seeing from him, unfortunately, in in earlier practices. And he's got so much potential. He's a fifth-round pick last year. Um, Somebody they see as very fast, very fluid as a route runner. But he doesn't have that football IQ yet at this point, and he's not reliable or consistent enough. That is why B.C. Johnson's probably going to get the number four job at this point with how it looks. So with this week, they guys like Dan Chisena, Amir Smith-Marset, Jalen Naylor, who was a six round rookie out of Michigan state. Those are the kind of guys who could have, if they have big weeks and a big game on Saturday, uh, whether it's special teams or on offense, they could help solidify their spots. And Smith-Marset in particular is one to watch because from everything I've heard and seen on the practice fields, they want him to win that punt returner job. They've gone through so many punt returners and KJ Osborne was the latest, but KJ is going to play a big role on offense and they don't seem too keen on wanting KJ to be returning punts. He might be the fallback option, but they want Smith Marset to earn that role. And Saturday or Sunday's game did not really go far in him securing that role. So whether it's special teams or offense, this could be a big week for Smith Marset to assert himself if he can. Has Kevin O'Connell heard of Marcus Sherrill's? That's all I want to know. <laughs> give him a call. Give him a call. Well, we'll always give you a call when we need good Vikings insights. Andrew Kramer, appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. Good stuff, as always, from Andrew Kramer. Appreciate him hopping on daily delivery. Should be another Access Vikings podcast later this week, um, kind of setting up the rest of the week. Big joint practices for uh, the 49ers and the Vikings, a couple of them starting on Wednesday, and then they play second preseason game uh, on Saturday, I believe. So check for that later this week on Access Vikings. Let's finish with the cooler adjacent to the conversation Andrew and I were having. I want to talk a little bit about a stat called pass block, pass rush, win rate. Um, It's ESPN, Next Gen Stats, basically their own creation, ESPN Analytics, basically Pass rush win rate tells us how often a pass rusher is able to beat his block within 2.5 seconds, and the pass block win rate conveys the the rate linemen can sustain their blocks for 2.5 seconds or longer. So a pass rush is, you know, winning winning it within 2.5 seconds. Pass block means winning it 
Wow, sustaining it for longer than 2.5 seconds. The the run metric's a little bit different, but I want to focus on the pass because Vikings were quite bad in that stat last season, and it goes a long way to to showing what happened last season. In terms of pass rush win rate, uh, Vikings were 29th in the league last season at 34%. Not good at all. So when they, you know, in terms of trying to trying to beat their blocks, in terms of getting to the quarterback, Vikings, at least in this metric, were fourth from the bottom. Uh, Rams, by the way, where Kevin O'Connell comes from, 53% number one in the NFL last season in pass rush win rate. Uh, Rams, by the way, were also number one in, in run stop win rate, and the Vikings were 31st in run stop win rate. Now, Having someone like Aaron Donald will help that stat immeasurably, and losing someone like Daniil Hunter to injury will hurt that stat immeasurably. So some of that could be due to health, but some of it could be what Kevin O'Connell wants to bring here. What, how much he, how much he's going to value that pass rush, how much he's going to, how much he's going to go at that, uh, at that stat. Pass block win rate. Rams were also number one last season at sixty-eight percent, and guess what? The Vikings were down at number twenty-five. 54%. So winning those battles, especially on the pass rush on either side, defense and offense, going to be a huge key for the Vikings this season, something the Rams excelled at last season on both sides of the ball, something I'm sure Kevin O'Connell is going to prioritize while they're here and something for sure you should be watching for in these last two preseason games and into the season to see if the Vikings can improve in either or both of those areas. That will do it for today. Like I said, should be some Lynx talk on Wednesday show with Kent Youngblood, more twins, of course, and whatever else comes our way. Thanks for joining me here on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand, back at it again on Wednesday. 